welcome into the latest edition of The Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, and momentarily we'll be joined by Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago, who you can follow on Twitter at KCJHoop. And basketball season won't be around forever, so get in on all the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, every steal, every assist. They mean so much more with a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Baseball fans, you may have missed out on season-long fantasy, so now is the time to get in on all of the daily fantasy action where DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so what are you waiting for? Head now to the app right now. Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And we're now joined by Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago. And the Bulls, Casey, coming off was a nice win last night. We're recording this on Friday morning. Nice win at Charlotte on the road last night, a 21-point victory. But I hate to say it, way too little and way too late. Yeah, they've uh, certainly kind of regressed since the trade deadline, which has been disappointing, uh, partly uh, uh, partly by just, you know, too much change happening in, a, in an already disrupted season. And then obviously, you know, Zach entering the, the health and safety protocols for as long as he did uh, doesn't help any team to lose their best player and leading score. So, uh, you know, they got uh, about six, five, six games left to, to try to get some chemistry going into the off season. But uh, that was an impressive victory uh, last night and perhaps a little bit of a blueprint of how you want to, you know, Enter next season with uh, Kobe White starting alongside Zach Levine and playing well. We will see. I'm going to bet you that's not how the season starts next year, but we'll talk about that in a moment also. You know, you wrote the article yesterday, and I thought you were very succinct in, in what you just said, but also in what you wrote. That obviously there was a lot of reasons why they didn't play well after the trades, you know, and, and the roster, in my opinion, definitely upgraded overall. I mean, obviously you got an all-star center in Vucevic, so that automatically made it better. But, you know, whether with the injuries and then Zach being out and and not having the practice time and then the West Coast swing right off the bat. And yet with all of that in mind, Casey, I'm still surprised that they didn't play better overall. And I got a feeling you'd probably say the same. 100 percent. I mean, quite frankly, uh, they make that trade uh, at the deadline or not just the trade, several trades because Tice uh, came in from from Boston and he's been a nice pickup. Um, And they're sitting 10th, you know, with a game and a half lead. And. Now they're not, and uh, they did not play well. Now, that, I know they had tough competition initially, and again, it's a di- difficult season to make change because there is such little practice time. I remember we were talking to Thad Young one day, and he said, look, if we had a week-long training camp, we'd be lights out, but we just don't have that. And he talked about the nuance that you miss, you know, and and little just reads and, and communication things that, that aren't just picked up with repetitive – practice which you get in training camp so um but yes it's disappointing because when they made those deals they were intent and they were looking to go up and they've gone the other direction so 
Um, you know, any way you slice it, uh, that's disappointment. And then, you know, one point I made in that column is, you know, all we heard from the new regime was player development, player development, player development. Obviously, they made some determinations on some young players that they sent out, which is the price you pay to get an all-star talent like Vucevic. But of who's left, Patrick Williams, you know, it's a difficult season for a rookie, but he's 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 gone from here downward as the season's progressed. Larry Markkinen has gone from a starter and a foundational piece to a reserve. Kobe White is really the only one you can point to and say he's kind of weathered the storm and is kind of playing where he finished last season in a nice catch and shoot role and showing some growth as a, as a decision maker. So, you know, that's, that's where I'm focused on because there are going to be significant changes coming to this roster. I know we'll get into that, but you know, of the, of the pieces that are on it that you want to develop, there's question marks about how much they've, they've, they've developed. Well, you're beating me to the punch because I wrote down almost everything that you just said to ask you. So I'll follow up on a lot of that. Let's start with Patrick Williams. Obviously, he's got the talent, and it's also obvious. We've only mentioned this a thousand times. Second youngest player in the NBA. I think he's still a teenager. I don't think he's hit 20 just yet. But why, Casey? Because, I mean, I've heard a lot of his sound bites where he says, yeah, I know I, I, I am starting to become more aggressive. He had the 19-point game a couple of games ago. But yet, if you look in the box score, more often than not, he's shooting four or five times a game. They need him to be much more aggressive. His DNA going back to college where he deferred to the older players even there. But you know what? It's the coach's responsibility, the coaching staff, to get the most out of this guy. Who's failing? Is it the player? Is it the coach? Is it just happenstance? Why is this guy not more aggressive? Well, I think, uh, you know, anytime there's a situation where, you know, you're under the microscope, I think it's a combination of factors. I mean, you know, Billy Donovan, every time we ask him about it, says he has the green light to be as aggressive as he wants to be or needs to be. And I know for a fact that Billy and his staff, you know, tell him that and work with him on that. Thad Young, same way. Thad's in his ear all the time. Now, I mean, we do have to obviously add some perspective. I mean, that's not really his role to be an alpha scorer on this team. And I know you're not just talking about scoring. You're talking just more about mindset and swag and approach and all that stuff. And, And I would agree with you. He needs to show more of that. He has said he needs to show more of that. So that leads to the failure on the part of the player. And, and failure is too strong of a word because it's just, you know, he 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 overall has had a pretty solid and, and good rookie season. But absolutely, if 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 the if this if this vision of what Arturis and Mark Eversley and, and their staff is going to work, uh, that their building is going to work, he needs to reach his ceiling. And too many times this season, he's left you wanting for more. And it's not just scoring. It's just kind of his overall approach. The other thing that I would say is, and we've talked about this on our own podcast at NBC Sports Chicago, it's like he's also kind of contrasting with a very swag-filled rookie class. I mean, you've got LaMelo Ball. You've got Anthony Edwards. You've got even a guy like Cole Anthony. These guys all have major swag. Now, he's never going to be like that. You can't make somebody be somebody they're not. And, you know, early on we were kind of making the – Kawhi Leonard comps as a positive. Now you're kind of going, eh, you know, uh, does he need to show a little bit more fire? So it's, but it's, it's, it's head scratching at times. And then I know Bulls fans want more. So we'll see how it plays out. You know, I'm thinking back to a stretch where the first game was at the United Center where he guarded Giannis. Then he goes out to the West Coast and guards LeBron and, and Kawhi and back to back to back games. Right. And I know his forte supposedly coming into the NBA was defense. 
did they do him a little bit of a, a injustice there to throw him so much into the fire? And did his confidence get hurt at all? I mean, I know he does the best he can, and he doesn't seem to be intimidated, but was that too much too quick? I don't think so because, um, you know, this is a development year. So why not kind of throw him in the fire and and see what you got? And I, I think he's got the physicality and the comportment to handle it. Um, so I, I don't I don't think so. Um, you know, that's kind of where he's – probably stood out the most is just his defensive versatility and his defensive acceptance. Um, but, you know, getting back to the offensive mindset, I mean, my colleague at NBC Sports Chicago, Rob Schaefer, brought up a great point recently. I mean, he's never really been in a role where he's kind of been the alpha scorer, even back to high school. He, he, he looked back at his high school stuff. He's always kind of been more of a complimentary type player. And, you know, um, Again, if you're picking number four and you want him to be an elite two-way wing, you're going to need more from that. So, you know, I don't think – obviously, and I know you're not saying this, but you can't close the book on the guy. I mean, he's got a lot of lot of basketball in front of him, a lot of development in front of him. But um, it is there, – there are moments where you were wishing he just have like one spectacular – I mean, he had that drive and that left-handed dunk a couple of games ago over Capella in the three-point play. You want a little bit more of that. I mean, you, you see these highlights by guys like LaMelo Ball and, and Anthony Edwards, and uh, you want a little bit more of that at times. I'll simply say I wish I was 19 with his talent and my my upside and ceiling was way up here. I'm not worried about him. I, I You know, if you see it even a little bit, you know there's a lot more. It, it's going to be incumbent on – on Billy Donovan and the coaching staff, the organization, to get it out of him. And I think they will in due time. Um, you mentioned, uh, obviously, a couple other names. We'll hit on them real quickly. Lowry Markinen. I mean, you you wrote this numerous times. He bet on himself before the season started. And I think, unfortunately, it's not going to pay off for him with the Bulls. But I think he's still going to get his money from somebody elsewhere around the league. I don't think he's going to be a Bull next year. You know, he's got talent. We've seen that from him for three years now. But there's something seemingly lacking there also. What do you think it is? Um, I think it's a combination of um, – I mean, he, he every season he's had start, starts and stops, so it's been difficult for him to kind of settle into that dominant rhythm. Um, you know, part of it certainly, certainly falls on him in terms of aggressiveness. Um, you know um, – this season, the trades didn't help him because immediately the pairing of him and Vucevic was one determined by the coaching staff not to be suitable. So he's moved to a bench role, which he never envisioned he'd be. Quite frankly, he's played pretty well the last six to eight games coming off the bench. He's accepted that role, and I think he's he's made a he's made a solid impact. Um, so it's it's mystifying. I mean, we're on year four, and we keep talking about potential. Um, you know, at some point you do have to question the player. I mean, I think he's still got, like you said, worlds of talent and, you know, an intriguing skill set. I personally think he's the kind, I mean, he's, you've seen this many times in sports. I mean, you've been doing this even longer than I have, Shu. Um, I personally think he's one of those guys who can go somewhere else and all of a sudden his career takes off. I mean, it just seems like sometimes you just need to change address. So much of this league is about circumstance and fit. I mean, not to draw a comp between these players is terms of ceiling or even skill set. But look at Daniel Gafford. I mean, he, he looks a lot better catching lobs from Russell Westbrook than, than he did here. I mean, and, and he showed moments here. I'm not saying his time here, his time here was a failure because it wasn't. 
but all of a sudden he's like, you know, a difference maker at times for, for the wizards. And he only did that like one to three times here. So it's the, you know, this league is so much about circumstance and fit. And this is, I agree with you. This does kind of has a feel of heading for uh, a change of address for Lowry Markkinen. How is that going to happen though? Do they renounce his rights? Do they sign and trade him? Do they just trade him period? I mean, how do, how do you think that will pan out with him? Well, certainly the ideal from their perspective would be a sign and trade because then you're not losing an asset for nothing. How it's going to play out, I can't predict the future. Plus, you know, as you know, one one difficult thing uh, from this pandemic is we we and this is not a complaint because we're living through a global pandemic. But in our in our little world, I mean, we we don't get the same kind of casual FaceTime with you know these people that we normally do. So I don't I don't really know how our tourists and Mark Eversley think. I, I haven't talked basketball with them that much. Everything has been formal and over Zoom. Um, you're not running into them in the gym and just you know shooting the wind breeze with them or picking their brain about things. So, you know, publicly, he, Arturis has been very pub, uh, supportive and, and complimentary of Larry Markin. And I have heard privately, he's like a lot of people been a little bit frustrated at times by him. And why wouldn't you be? I mean, the potential is so much greater than the production at, at times. So um, I, I can't predict how it's going to play out, but I can tell you from a Bulls perspective, um, either a low offer sheet or um, or a sign and trade would be the ideal. Here's another one that I was talking about earlier in the season that I just thought of that that I haven't brought up in a while. I, I don't think this is going to happen, but what if he plays on the qualified offer next year, which you know he doesn't get what he likes in restricted free agency and signs the qualifying offer and then goes into unrestricted free agency next year? Uh, the Bulls would certainly use him at nine million or whatever his qualifying offer is. I'd have to look it up. So I don't think that's going to happen, but there's so many different ways it can go. Okay. Well, listen, he, I'm, I'm not going to feel sorry for him. He's not going to be a pauper. He's going to get his millions from somebody. He had, that a chance here. he had four seasons here, man. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, and he's a good dude on top of it. Um, Kobe White was the other name that you mentioned. I don't think he's going to be your starting point guard next year. Um, if I'm in charge of the organization, I, listen, I said this last year when he was a rookie. And he's worked really hard to try and be a point guard. But in my estimation, that's not his role. He's been a scorer his whole life. You talk about the DNA of a player in Patrick Williams. Well, the DNA for in his you know history for Kobe White is score, score, score. And I still see him being a Lou Williams, um, a Jamal Crawford, uh, a Vinnie Johnson, the guy who comes off the bench, plays 25, 30 minutes, and scores his 20 points. And I still think they have to upgrade at the point guard position. But I think Kobe White overall has had a pretty good season. And I know he's coachable, and I know he tries real hard. I just don't think he, he should be your starting point guard. Yeah, you just nailed it. Uh, to me, he's certainly part of the core moving forward. And as and the, I like what you said about it, him being coachable, because that's uh, a huge trait of his that is very apparent. And Billy always also, also talks about you know his ability to handle in game adversity, which is which is good for a young player. And he he does that a lot. He has really difficult starts or difficult periods in a game, and then still has a confidence and the belief in himself to, to make big plays down the stretch. So kudos to him for that. Um, no, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really know what I was thinking when I was rambling at the start there. I might've been drunk when we started this podcast. I've sobered up now. No, I'm just kidding. I don't drink, but, uh, but uh, he's not going to be the starting point guard next year. But you know, I, what, what did stand out from that one um, victory in Charlotte was just him and Zach playing well together in that role. Cause he, they had not been like that much this season. So, um, but yeah, he's not a point guard. He's not a he, he's not a starting point guard. He's 
he's something, but he, he's a nice piece, but he's not a starting point guard. And they need somebody that just is better at um, facilitating and setting people up and just is, is more of an orchestrator. They need a, you know, this would be ideal or pie in the sky type, but a Chris Paul or a Mike Conley or, or somebody like that. So uh, I don't think they're going to get somebody like that, but you know, that that's what they need. And it would certainly improve the entire roster. Yeah. I don't know if they can, or if they're going to be able to get Lonzo ball. And apparently Zion Williamson is now, you know, having, you know, falling further in love with Lonzo ball down there. And, you know, uh, Goran Dragic uh, in in Miami, he's at least a possibility, although he's sort of long in the tooth. And he's he's hurt a lot too. That's the other thing. I I like Dragic's game, but he's hurt a lot at at his age now. So, but that apparently should be in my estimation, one of the main things that, that uh, Karnishibis has to do in the off season, he's got to solidify that starting point guard position in my estimation. Agreed. Agreed completely. Agreed. All right. Let's talk about uh, Nico Vucevic and, and I, you know, listen, he is deservedly so an all-star center. And I make that trade every day of the week, what they did. I mean, the first round picks, and we'll talk about those, it could come back to haunt them, but they didn't give up any players in my estimation that are going to hurt them down the road. Vucevic is definitely an all-star center on offense. Defense, he still is, I don't know, like a, a C or a C plus kind of player. How in the long run do you think, obviously, Zach's going to be here. I, I think they'll sign him to an extension. That's my guess also. How do you think these two guys will further be playing together as we go forward? Oh, I mean, I've you know, all we all we talked about when on the day of the trade deadline, all we wrote about was just how potent of a pairing this could be. And obviously got off to a little bit of a clunky start. But I think given time of a you know, normal rhythm of the season, a normal training camp on paper, it should be lights out. I mean, just they're both really, really gifted scorers and they're both really, really unselfish players. I mean, Zach's, you know, empty calories, selfish label to me, he's completely buried it. I mean, maybe there's a few people who still believe that, but I mean, just, just look at it. I mean, he's, he's, he's always made the right, always try to make the right basketball play. And yeah, he'll sometimes get into heat check mode. That's because he's damn good at scoring. So, um, so no, on paper that, that pairing looks lights out, obviously, uh, you know, and Artur said it publicly, you know, we're not done. So it's what moves fill in around that. But I agree with you. You know, if you have a chance to get an all-star, um, you you push your chips in to do it. They've got two all-stars now. And now it's incumbent on this new regime to to build it out and, and do it pretty quickly. Because not like, you know, either, either of these players are old, particularly Zach, but you know, Vooch has been in the league a bit and he's hitting, he's hit, you know, coming on downside of 30. So, or, you know, it, moving into his early 30s. So um, uh, they've, they've got to fill this roster out the right way. But I personally think that this th- those two guys can can fit very, very well together. Speaking of pairings, um, I like the pairing, maybe not both starters, but I like the pairing of uh, Vucevic and Daniel Tice. Um, one guy's got strengths as opposed to the other guy's weaknesses, meaning Tice is, a, I think, a better defensive player. I think that's pretty unanimous on that. Is there any way that they can retain him or is he going to want so much money, you know, with the rest of the roster being as is that they won't be able to retain him? No, they could. I mean, you know, the the, the mental gymnastics for their cap situation are, are pretty cumbersome because there's so many different ways they can go. I mean, with the partial guarantees of Young and Sato, the cap hold of Lowry Markkinen, um, you know, the renouncing of Ryan Archie Diak. You know, there's just so, so many different ways you can go. So it's not a clean – uh, answer that said, I agree with you. Particularly his complimentary ability 
uh, uh, alongside Vucevic because of his defensive, you know, rim protection and his physicality. You know, I don't, I, I'm probably a little higher on Vooch defensively than most. I'm not, I agree. C plus might've been good, maybe B minus because he's a good defensive rebounder and he moves his feet. I mean, he's not, he's not a statue out there. I mean, obviously he's not quick or agile, but he, I think in, in with the right power forward alongside of him, he's a pretty, he can be a pretty solid team defender at times. Um, I don't think Tice is going to be breaking the bank. I mean, you know, he's a very good player, but he's, he, he's, you know, he's, he's a solid, you know, borderline starter on a good team to reserve, you know? Um, so, uh, Sure. I mean, try to bring him back if it works with the rest of your cap gymnastics. I don't think you make him a priority, though. I think he's, you take care of other pressing needs first and then figure out. I mean, Thad Young, you know, has had an incredible season, and he could certainly play the four if needed next season if both Tyson Markin and are gone. And Patrick Williams, I think, ultimately is more of a four than a three. So, oh, Agreed. Agreed on that. Um, let's talk about Thad Young. I mean, if if Zach Levine has been the MVP overall of this roster, Thad Young is right a half inch behind him. He's, he's been unbelievable, which makes me just go back to the season prior to and go, what the hell did Jim Boylan screw this guy up? I mean, I, it has to be that. I mean, Thad Young was always a productive player everywhere he went, every organization, every city. He comes here to Chicago and I go, man, this guy's over the hill. He can't play. And now this season he's back and probably better than he ever was. What's the difference last year and this year with Thad Young? Well, I'll say this though. I mean, to Thad Young's credit, he did, Jim didn't screw him up because if you look at his numbers, Thad actually ended up having a pretty decent year in a complete, what he did is he used him wrong, he, he, but he didn't screw him up. I mean, Thad, that's why Thad to me is so remarkable. You know, our job is to remain objective, but in my new role at NBC Sports Chicago, I can be a little bit more analyst and, and opinion based. And I have just, I have so much respect and appreciation for Thad Young. And I've just had so much fun watching him play basketball this year. I mean, he's just been such a rock. And I mean, obviously that dunk last night was just kind of such a wonderful way to, uh, to add to the season, but just some of his passing ability and his reads out of that high post, it's just been marvelous. Um, so, but obviously, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, the difference is he's he's playing the role that that he had most always has played with a little bit more, um, uh, you know, running stuff through him. That said, in some ways, he's actually even playing more of a transformed role because a lot of times he's been back to the basket, low post, up and under flips, and he still shows us that. But that stuff from the high post that he's been doing this year uh, just been, has just been incredible. And I I've never seen it to this level. Not that I saw that every night when he played for other teams, but I caught enough of him. So kudos to him for, for having the season that he's having. And I personally hope that the bulls bring him back just cause I, you know, enjoy covering him and enjoy watching him play basketball. Yeah. I think it's imperative that they figure out a way of bringing him back pending on the rest of the roster, because not only is he valuable on the court, but I remember when they brought him in, I remember it was down to either him or Taj Gibson, who's also a great influence oh, yeah. in the locker room. But I think Thad Young is much more valuable as a player at this stage of both their careers. So I, I hope they find a way to bring him back. Um, I'd like to take you around the NBA just a little bit before we get out of here um, and talk about the upcoming postseason awards. Uh, the MVP, I think you'll agree with me. I think Jokic probably has sewn it up at this point. But it's been a really interesting year when it comes to the MVP because at different times there were different leaders in the clubhouse. I mean, Joel Embiid at one point I thought was a leader in the clubhouse. 
I thought when James Harden, when the season started, he was a bum. But then he goes to uh, Brooklyn and is putting up monster triple doubles. Before he got injured, I thought he was, you know, right into the conversation. But now I just think it's Jokic. But Russell Westbrook, oh, my God. To me, if, if it wasn't for Jokic, I would give the award to Russell Westbrook. I think he's been that good. Well, we haven't even gotten into three other players. I mean, Giannis has had another incredible yes, season kind of under the radar. And then Steph Curry has been incredible for Golden State. And then my personal um, favorite is Chris Paul. I mean, just look at what he's done to, to lead Phoenix to, you know, at times the league's best record. They're a little behind Utah now. So, um, but no, I, I would agree with you. Jokic is having, to me, a historic season. And then be those would be the probably one, two on my ballot. But I, I would give it to Jokic. I mean, he's just having such a historic season. And um, there, I mean, just every year, there's just so many great candidates. And, you know, we haven't even gotten to All-NBA. I mean, there's going to be some serious, like, talent left off the All-NBA teams this year. It's just there's not enough spots for how great a season so many people are playing. Luka Doncic, another guy who's having a great season. But, you know, uh, I always also like to reward team success. So, you know, Jokic has been paramount in that as well. One more name, Randall in New York. I mean, yeah, my God, I mean without him, and we're going to talk about Tom Thibodeau, who I think is the coach of the year. Matter of fact, let, let's go to the coach of the year. I mean, there's been some great coaching jobs out West, Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams, both of them neck and neck for the top spot. I got to give it to Thibs. This is a team that was supposed to be the bottom of the East, and they they at one point won 10 of 11 or whatever it was. They're going to be the number four seed in the East. He's doing his job. I, I got to give him the award. Yeah, I actually don't think this one's going to be close. And and uh, there are obviously always so many deserving candidates, and, and you've mentioned some of the ones who – have had great seasons, but I, I personally don't think this one's going to be close. I, to me, it's, and I wrote this when the the Bulls played the Knicks recently because uh, I jumped on a couple of Knicks zooms. And to me, uh, you know, they're not going to win sixty two games. Obviously, not an eighty two game season either. But I, I'd have to translate their winning percentage compared to the ten eleven Bulls. But in a lot of ways, it's very similar to that first season. He comes in, you know, that that team before the ten eleven Bulls obviously went forty one and forty one under Vinny. Completely cha changes the the culture and the the trajectory of the franchise. Maxes out a player, you know, um, from you know, uh, in not again. Randall's not going to be MVP, but he's going to get a couple votes. And you know, Rose won MVP in Tom's first season, so there are a lot of similarities to me. He just, you know, you saw it for five years. He maximizes what his roster is, no matter what, and I. You know, quickly talking about long term, I personally think this time it's going to work because he's gone through this situation twice. And I know he can be stubborn at times and send his ways, but the friendship and the collaboration that he's had with Leon Rose over these years. And, you know, he, you know, this, he's gotten to a good place with John Paxson. Um, you know, I think he's learned a lot from, from the situation here. Um, and, and, you know, the Minnesota one is a, a different uh solution or different uh, stories so i personally think this is going to be a long-term fit uh for him and good for him i mean this you know he grew up out in the east uh uh and and worked for the knicks before he's called it his dream job so i i personally would love to see him put roots down there
you know, he's where he should be because there's so many restaurants in New York. And I think this, the only thing that he loves more than restaurants is basketball. But he certainly loves his food. There's no question about that. And I think the best thing that he's got going for him is that James Dolan right now is screwing up the New York Rangers and doesn't have time to deal with the Knicks. So I think Tom Thibodeau, I agree with you, he's in a great spot. A quick word about Derek because I, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. He's not a kid anymore. I wanted to say kid, but he's not. But but he's still playing some really good basketball. I'm happy for him. Yeah, and I mean he's going to get some consideration for for six man. Um, you know, and uh, you know the fact that it part of his season was in Detroit where it wasn't as impactful will probably hurt him. And, and then obviously there's so many other good candidates. But uh, but yes, he's having a spectacular season, and you know that partnership between him and Tom is just so great to see after all these years, and just the the respect mutual respect those two have for each other is really palpable. It's fantastic to see. How about rookie of the year? Did LaMelo ball do enough early on before he got injured? Now that he's back, Anthony Edwards is, is, is living up to his number one uh, draft status at this point. Yeah. I'd lean ball, but it's, it definitely has gotten close uh, between balls injury and Edwards uh, close this season. But again, I, you know, ball's got, he's not the only reason, but a big reason why Charlotte's in the playoff picture. And, you know, Anthony had a bigger rebuild project, a reclamation project than Ball, but it, it, two great rookies will both be first-team all-rookie for sure. Um, but I, I, if I had a ballot, which I do not, I would give the nod to Ball. All right, well, um, one last thing around the NBA. Before we get to our, if you want to stick with me for our walk down memory lane segment, and I got something that I think you'll get a kick out of. Um, the play-in thing, I mean, Actually, I liked it initially, but I've seen so much criticism about it around the NBA. It started with uh, obviously down in Dallas and, and then LeBron said whoever invented it should be fired. And it's ironic because the Lakers could be in that play in game. Um, what are your thoughts on that overall? And what are your thoughts on the Lakers as they slide right now, which was fairly obvious with the injuries to the two, two of the five best players on the planet? They haven't played hardly at all. But what are your thoughts on both of those subjects? Well, um, I am more of a traditionalist, so most people have loved the plan, and it certainly is working because you're not seeing teams tanking because teams have something to play for, so it's working. I, I do not like it. I, I, I'm a huge proponent of the value of the regular season. Now, I've heard play-in advocates say, well, that I'm, I'm contradicting myself because the play-in you know, uh, makes the uh, regular season – games more important but to me it's gimmicky because i think there's value in navigating the regular season and finishing top eight and i personally think that playing totally screws the seven seed because you 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 the, the you have a huge gap between seven and ten and the seven team has one bad night and you know they're out of the playoff picture i i don't i don't like that but most people that I talk to love it, and I think it's going to be here to stay personally. As far as the Lakers, yeah, it's been a train wreck to watch. And uh, it, you know, if if I'll tell you one thing, if the play, if they don't make the, if they fall out of the play-in, uh, the league's, you know, I know really high in the play-in right now, but they may have to reconsider if one of their marquee franchises is not on TV for a long run during the playoffs. So we'll see how that plays out. I want to go back to one last question on the Bulls um, and help me to understand. A lot of people don't want the Bulls to make the playoffs and get lucky in the lottery, which will be sometime, you know, in about a month from now. Um, top four protected. What does Orlando get if the Bulls get a top four pick? How, do, how do, where, Where's their compensation on the other end? So then uh, the the 
the 2021 pick becomes a 2022 first round pick, and that is protected top three. Um, and then because you cannot have first round picks in consecutive years, the trade would then be mean that uh, the Orlando gets the Bulls 2022 and 2024 first round picks. I'm not sure on the protection on the second pick. Um, I know your follow-up is going to be what happens if somehow the Bulls get a top four pick this year and a top three pick next year. It then becomes two second round picks in the 2023 draft. But I mean, the chances of the Bulls getting a top four pick this year and a top three pick next year are just infinitesimal to me. So yeah, you're you're right. Except there's you still have those conspiracy people out there who do believe in stuff like that. But I don't know. Time will tell. Uh, all right. Walk down memory lane segment. You know, I've, what I've been doing on this one, and, and Mark Janowski was doing this along with me for a while. We just picked out things out of the past because we covered for a long time. So have you, obviously. So I'm going to throw one out, and you feel free if you want to throw something from the past out there covering the Bulls all these years. And this one I'm going to pick on uh, one of our favorite coaches that we both dealt with. Who else? Scott Skiles. And it was the Eddie Curry question of him. And the exact question was, um, what can Eddie Curry do to become a better rebounder? And, and if Scott Skiles had so many great qualities about him, but one of the great qualities, he had great comic timing. And all he simply said was, jump. And, and, it, and it stopped us all frozen in our tracks. And it was almost like the mic dropping when he did something like that. And I can't remember. Help me out. Did he walk away when he said jump or did he stay for a follow-up? I don't remember. No, there was no follow-up because we were all so stunned. But he stayed. It was early in the uh, in the post-game presser. Uh, and be- believe it or not, that was my question. I mean, I, I mean, this is this is what we do. We ask questions. I, I don't I don't like this this uh trend in today's media, like, well, I asked. I mean, this is we all work as a group to ask the questions. I mean, this is your job is to ask questions, but the only reason I'm saying it was my question is because it was very memorable for me because I asked it. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, we all just were stunned. There was no follow, but yeah, fantastic. Uh, I've got, yeah, a lot of Scott stories. I, I actually told this one somewhere. I can't remember where, but this one's away from the court. So it's even more fun is Scott and I would talk politics, uh, here and there. And we, we fall a little bit on the different ends, not ends, but we, we just, we're a little bit unaligned uh, politically. And, and there was one time it was when they were playing the wizards in that first round series. So their first time back in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Oh, four Oh five. And uh, it was back when the series was out in DC and I misread the access time and they're practicing at Georgetown. So I got to the, uh, the, the gym an hour early. So I, it was a beautiful day in DC. So I was waiting outside when the bus rolled up, just wait because you know we get access after practice and Scott comes he's bounds off the bus you remember how he used to walk you know with that walk and he had sunglasses on gorgeous day he's the first one on the bus and he's barreling you know walking that Scott walk from the bus to the to the gym door and he I'm kind of sitting like on a stone off to the side and without stopping as he's walking he goes what are you here so early for a move on.org meeting? <laughs> and it just keeps walking. Like doesn't even give me, a, and, I, and I just was laughing so hard, man. He, as, as you nailed it, he had a great, great sense of humor, man. Oh, he was fantastic. I loved him. I, you know, I talk about away from the basketball court. I've told this story numerous times. I mean, he was a very smart man when it came to making money in so many different ways um, from organizations and outside and he one time uh, gave my son, who was going, he was in high school at the time, and he's gone on 
to be very successful himself in the world of finance. And Skiles took him apart, uh, took him aside, and for an hour at the old Birdo Center, talked to him in the corner about you know the world of finance. And I'll never ever forget that and appreciate what he did. And and, and Skiles, I don't know, I just I he his. He was just so much fun to be around. He was ornery at times. He was, you know, he got on the nerves of certainly certain organizations, but he was a smart man. And, and talking about Eddie Curry, I think he pegged Curry entirely correct. Curry, I think, what made what's between 70 and 80 million dollars in his NBA career. So it's not exactly like he was that motivated to play. And when Skyle said jump, I mean, that was, like I said, great comic timing. Yeah, and Scott was ordering for the right reasons. I always respected that about him. Like, if you asked a dumb question, he would he would put it right back at you in a in – a, but not, like, in a disrespectful way, just, like, in a step-it-up way. Like, what are you – that's a dumb question. And I, I had no problem with that. And we're also, of course, because you called it memory lane, we're also talking about a different era. I mean, there was so much, so much less media around back then, and the access was so much more relaxed. I mean, everything is so heightened now with social media and the number of, uh, of reporters that are out there, everything is so, I mean, you just had, as you know, much more casual time with, with coaches and players back then. So that's, that's a little bit of a different era as well. You know, you're talking about, uh, the political, uh, the politics with Scott Skiles, that coaching staff, when he first got there, you had Ron Adams, who was all the way to the left. You had Skiles, who was all the way to the right. And, and the other coaches were sort of like buffers between them, even though those guys got along with each other. But they they must have had some incredible conversations between Adams and Skiles. Oh, for sure. And those guys are still uh, pretty close today. And then obviously the other Jim Boylan was on that staff, a fun guy to to talk basketball and, and life with. I mean, that was the other thing. Like, that whole staff, to me, had a lot of varied interests. I mean, Ron Adams and I used to play tennis together. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a renaissance man. And, uh, you know, Jim Boy, the other Jim Boylan, uh, is very, uh, got a lot of interests outside basketball as well. So, yeah, that th those teams, I think you and I have talked about this before, we agree. Those are teams were some of my favorite to be around. Well, you're one of my favorites to be around, KC. I miss being, seeing you in person, but I hope – I hope whenever this stupid pandemic, and I don't I hate to use that word, but I hope when this pandemic is over, we can get life back to the way it was because it was a lot of fun back then. Not that yeah, far ago. Yeah, for sure. Always good to to hang out with you, Shu, and uh, people that are listening to this don't, but we can actually see each other right now. So good to see you as well. But yeah, we we stayed in touch throughout the pandemic, but it's fun to do something like this every once in a while. Hundred percent.